here we are, Abe. Cast iron brains. A broadcast. A broadcast. A broadcast. Weird alien appendage in weird alien hole sort of thing. Cast Iron Brains, a podcast proudly accepting all content asylum seekers, recognizing and appreciating their needs and desires for a better content-consuming life, and surreptitiously redirecting them to the buffer. My name is Bob, <laughs> sitting across the way from my good friend and co-host, that's Abe. How you doing tonight, Abe? Doing well, Bob. Yeah, here we are. Lori's here, too. How you doing, Lori? Proud podcast. I see now. Yeah. Tonight is Wednesday, June 15th, 2022. Got to remember to pay the bills after the podcast tonight. I just realized it being the 15th of the month and the day that I pay my bills. Can't forget to do that. You know, uh, today, June 15th, is what's supposed to be the end of what was a 27-year run. Uh, Microsoft Internet Explorer was being removed from our systems here at the government. And uh, apparently somebody realized there was some issue with just getting rid of it because the new browser Edge needed something. I don't know, some weird thing. But we got an email late late in the day saying, you know what? (laughs) Not quite dead yet. I saw a story about that. I thought that they just killed it. I thought Microsoft killed it from on high. I didn't realize it was still possible to use it. Yeah, I didn't know it was a discretionary thing, but we got an email saying that uh, it's going to mess something else up, uh, and so we'll keep it for, like, I don't know, a couple more weeks. But Well, you guys are probably, what, you still using, like, Windows XP computers at the IRS? <laughs> How bad is <laughs> <Tell> it? <you. laughs> we got pretty good computers now. All of our applications are pretty old, but yeah, pretty snazzy. Computer. I've uh, I've stuck with Chrome through thick and thin here yep. in the last few years, which I know I should you, move on, but I don't know. Have you ever like tested like the, what Firefox is up to, or not in years? Firefox, browsers? I forget why I got tired of Firefox years ago, but I did, and then I moved to Chrome, and that's basically been it. I've used Edge on new computers in the last couple of years. Edge is fine too, but yeah, it's fine. I mostly actually use opera browser at, at home for some reason it just fl- flexible it just works well that's good it's the sort of content that the people come to us yeah, for the people discussing <laughs> browser choices how it's bill day and proud, also proud podcast. a proud podcast it's uh, summer break summer break has begun my children are home from school this week and they're sick it sucks. It's, oh. uh, Katie's been sick all week. I forget. Why didn't we go on Monday? What? Why didn't we record on Monday night? I can't remember. Abe was busy. No, Abe was busy last night. Oh, I, I just didn't have anything to say, I think. Yeah. Is what, oh. You didn't, it wasn't proud. On Monday, I said, I don't have oh, any right. opinions about anything, so let's not podcast. And then You have since gathered lots of things? I have since <laughs> spent a great deal of time working myself up into a lather about whatever the fuck uh, Lourdes Garcia Navarro is talking about on Twitter and w- what what's happening on the NPR Twitter feed and all the rest, and now here we are. 
No, Katie's been sick, and it sucks because they can't do anything. They're just stuck inside all day long. So they've been watching a lot of TV. I'll have a little something on that at the end of the show about uh, the, the kids' television programming. Uh, but for now, we shall talk about the latest internet outrages of the day. Fun, and fun, fun. I do kind of want to go into something that I said in passing last week. Or not exactly in passing. But I said that when we were discussing the January 6th hearings, my complaint about what was to come, and I think, by the way, uh, our, or my anyway, largely dismissive attitude about the January 6th hearings, I think was basically proven correct, at least in terms of my cynical view that they're not going to fucking matter at all. And that's not too surprising, especially when you have half of the political spectrum dedicated to making sure that they don't have any fucking purchase. Right. And so it's a, to an extent, it's a self-fulfilling thing where if the Republicans insist that there's nothing to see here, then there's not going to be anything to see there for them, and therefore it's fine. I did see uh, on the first day it was like, what, combined 20 million viewers? Uh, th- that 12-minute that piece was pretty good, but I, you're right, where if half of the people are willingly not paying attention to it, it's not going to get the same traction as a totally captive audience. Like if it was some neutral thing, like, you know, some other country doing this, more people would watch. But right. since people are – they don't want to know what they found, they're not going to tune in. I do think that it was affecting, certainly for me. I watched the full two hours on uh, last Thursday night, and it had its moments. It, I, I, I think Pesca over at The Gist sort of made fun of all of the pundits and the and the media people for saying – talking over and over again about how powerful the testimony was. That It was very – Powerful, powerful, powerful. Everything was so powerful coming out of this thing. But, you know, there's a reason that they chose that adjective, and that is because it did, in in fact, at times, uh, feel powerful. And my main takeaway, especially after watching that video that you referenced, that included footage that had previously not been seen, that was put together uh, by this guy who was embedded with the Proud Boys, who's making a documentary about the Proud Boys, and had access to Enrique, whatever his last name is, Taros or something Not like Iglesias, that. something else. This guy who had spent a lot of time with the Proud Boys and then was therefore with them on January 6th, he had some new footage that nobody had seen before. And a lot of it was quite affecting. And my, my main takeaway from it was that the same thing that I said when this all happened, which is that they needed to act as soon as possible And had they acted more quickly in the immediate aftermath of this, that Trump would have been impeached and removed from office basically right away. And that was it was McConnell's first reaction as well, if you believe all of the reporting on that. And there's no reason not to. and, and, And he hasn't denied any of it. So there's no reason not to believe it. But McConnell said in the wake of January 6th that. Thank God, basically, that the Democrats, now they're going to take care of him for us, right? Like, we we will no longer have to put up with Trump any longer because the Democrats will take care of him. And if they do it, and if they had done it fast enough before January 20th, then they could have removed him and that would have been the end of the story. <laughs> okay. To be fair, that's literally 14 days since he's going to leave office. He's already been impeached twice. Uh the purpose of impeachment, if it is 
successful all the way through is removal from office. He was being removed just by, you know, his term was being up. So, like, I don't know what would have been the benefit of just doing a, you mean like a third impeachment? And they wouldn't have gotten the votes to, to actually remove no, him. No, the because sec- the second impeachment ended up being post-inauguration. They didn't do it right away is what he's saying. Like, they should have done it okay. the next day, not when he's not a threat anymore. Right. But is the idea they should have done it in those 14 days? Yes, yeah, absolutely. They should have done it on January 7th. They should have done it right away. And they, they wouldn't have needed they wouldn't have needed to only have a couple of wishy-washy Republicans on their side. Like no, would they have had everybody? Would they have had Kevin McCarthy necessarily right. and would they have had Steve Scalise and Jim Jordan and all of the worst of the the rest of the Republicans? No, probably not. But they would have had more than fucking six or whatever the number ended up being right but would it have been enough to i don't know remove them like with eight days left or i don't know like what what would have been the upside i don't know i guess the upside is that is that i mean the obvious upside is that we don't have to worry about them in 2024 and that that, that's not hanging over the country's collective head as it is right now that mattered so much and they didn't do it right but but basically what what we're saying when we're saying that is that despite all of this unearthing i mean most of this information people already should know because like you kind of got the gist of what happened just on that day i mean all this stuff adds layers to what you already know right so it's nothing particularly new but without this legal thing that says since you've been impeached and and removed you you can't run in 24 basically without that we're saying that Despite all the evidence showing the complicity of the former president, there's an audience out there to vote him in possibly again in 24. Yeah, because you allowed him to keep his stolen election narrative. You allowed all of that to fester long enough. And I'm not I'm not saying that he wouldn't still be running the same stupid fucking game now, but at least it right. wouldn't be possible for him to come back in 2024 and become the president again, which is but, like entirely plausible, right? And Right, but but in 2024 this is going to be after the conclusion of these hearings, right? So the the first two hour thing and the other sessions show not but I'm only saying, right, I know I know all of what you and yeah it should be on the people who are still fucking somehow supporting him now after all of this right. despite all of this evidence before them like the, right. it, if they can't be helped now then they could never be helped and all I'm saying is that I think that it's plausible that an immediate expulsion of him from the ranks of the republicans to to have the enough republicans to turn on him to remove him from office in the in the wake of that because that was the immediate feel it wasn't just democrats saying that they were all like fuck this guy with the exception of like two of them lindsey graham on the got wasted he got up in front of everybody and said i'm off this bus or whatever his expression was yeah yeah it was a good run blah 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 i'm out Right, I'm out. But I'm now done. he's not that way. And now he's not that way any longer because but they didn't take— would've, he would have not been that four days from—like, they, they, they were going to impeach him that night, right? Like, it would have been, like, four days or— a, a, they, Let's say they start been. the process the next day. I think that the fact that they allowed it to go past the inauguration when the threat was clearly—it was, no, like was no longer a credible threat. Right. You could you could no longer say that there was an ongoing threat to the process, despite the Q maniacs and 
Trump himself insisting that, oh, it's someday in the middle of July in 2021, he was going to be secretly reinstalled as the president. Like that, that right. level of complete fucking insanity. But once the, the credible threat had passed with January 20th, it offered too much space for Republicans to say, well, this is just a witch hunt now. It, it allowed too much room for Donald Trump to say, this isn't about anything besides the Democrats' obsession with me. I'm not even president anymore. This is ridiculous, right? And I think right. that if they, had, if they had acted in that window, we would have been better off. And that was only reinforced by what I saw last Thursday night. There are candidates winning primary races who were at the January 6th insurrection, right? Yeah. There are politicians who have— There are also have, ones that are losing— not really. They're, 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 no? Right. Yeah. But they're, they're also politicians who voted to impeach who are losing their primary yeah, seats like the, I mean. the guy right. in, in so, South but Carolina. That, so the guy right. in South Carolina is a great example. And I don't have the name in front of me. And it's a, it's a stupid white American something. name. It's like Tom Ford yeah. or something. It's not Tom Ford. <laughs> yeah, whatever the guy's name is. Anyway, he lost. He's from somewhere on the, on the coast of Carolina. And... He had been – he's a fucking Trumpy dude, and he had – the only thing that he had done wrong in the eyes of Trump people is to vote to impeach Trump the second time around. And not right. that it mattered ultimately, uh, but that's what cost him. And that seems to be the thing that matters most to Republicans in this cycle. It has nothing to do with your relative level of Trumpiness or Trump support at any point along the way. It has everything right. to do only with whether or not you agree – that what happened after January 6th was a Trump witch hunt as opposed to an attempt at accountability for something that Donald Trump might have had a hand in, right? If you believe right. that Donald Trump is at all responsible for the events of January 6th and had a hand in uh, creating the environment that led to that and that what you saw that day was bad, then you will not be in the Republican Party going forward. Right. Like, that right. seems to be the key thing that's holding that coalition together. Right. It's a litmus test. Which, what side are you on? And that's why, even though I guess it's a greater than 0% chance that what you're saying is true, there was that window, those few days, this sort of feedback that's coming from the voters suggests to me that it was never in the cards that he was going to be removed from office like with a few days to spare. Like, that, that wasn't in the cards because— yeah, the day of, the day after, and once things settled, by the third day, people were like, okay, let's rewrite history and pretend away what just happened. Yeah, and I don't want to sound like an hysterical here, but like the January 6th thing is among the worst things to happen to this yes. country in in right. my paying attention life, like, right. and, and, and as far back as I can remember. Like, it is as bad as it felt watching it, and it's arguably worse then we're treating it now like it's 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 just yeah. a complete fucking disaster and and the fact that that is somehow has an entirely partisan valence now makes it even worse right and the the yes. fact that this this committee has to do this now in this in the middle of summer because if they wait until next year or whatever, if they if the, if this extended any further, that there's not a chance in hell that the Republicans would be interested in looking into this and this right. this nonsense both sidesism about how well where are the where are the committees into inflation, where are the the prime time <laughs> investigations by the House yeah. of Representatives yeah. into the events in the summer of 2020, the the Black Lives Matter uh, riots as they call them when American cities were burning. It's like yeah the 
inflation's bad and uh, right. and violent protests and riots, those are bad. But it's not as bad as when <laughs> the president of the United States right. Right. called Declares on his supporters the to walk down to the Capitol and then storm the gates and, and called his vice president a coward and said that right. if, if he had a backbone, I would still be president. Right. Like that is right. And it sounds insane. Like I feel like a crazy person 18 months later getting worked up about it. But it's like the most important thing. And the fact right. that only that even talking about it, you get dismissed as like, oh, here's another resistance dem. Here's a, here's another right. hysterical resistance dem who who only hates Trump. Like, no, man, you don't get it. Like this this right. was very bad. And it would be really really good to have a, a unified two parties or or something a unified collection of americans who can stand up and say that this was fucking bad and we're not going to get it right uh trump is in many ways like the great corrupter because like if you if you are otherwise on his side he will corrupt you by having you defend something that under no other circumstance would you defend like i mean people are trying to minimize it or just pretend that this hearing is not happening or, or call it a dust-up like my boy uh, Jack Del Rio uh, from the Commanders, uh, the football coach, uh, said. Basically trying to minimize what happened, but if anyone, uh, if you just haven't tuned in, if you could just watch those 12 minutes, and I have a bad memory, uh, and I do remember that it was bad, but like just watching it, I just was thinking, man, I forgot how bad was it was. Like, it was... Because it was literally like the day after the, the Senate... Runoffs here in Georgia, and everything was yeah, kind of it was the day of. Dory. It was that right. day. Well, January fifth, the uh, runoff, and January sixth, when the so, when, yeah, when we found the uh, the news results. came out. Well, yeah, the, yeah, the, results the came news in. came out, and then you know there was the the speech stuff during the noon hour, and then so things good. just just fell apart. And for people to pretend that problem away or try to do this, well, what about this other thing? I think when, when people, by the way, do that, there's a recognition that they realize that it's bad, but they're trying to deflect. Let's talk about inflation. Let's talk about this other thing. You can do multiple things. Like, what about this thing? What is your position on this one thing? Like, was this bad or was it not bad? Like, we can talk about the other stuff. But on this one issue, was it wrong what happened? Because that, there doesn't seem to be an appetite to talk about that. All of the networks had it on Thursday night except for Fox News Channel. I think that they Fox was covering it somewhere because I saw Fox coverage of it. I don't know if it was on Fox Business or it was on on Fox something it, else. So I actually because uh, I watched it the next day and the banner at the bottom said had Fox News. The local Fox affiliates were carrying the Fox, well at least in Atlanta, they were carrying the Fox News banner. So it, if you watched it the next day, you would think, oh, what are they talking about? Fox News covered it. You know, but it would be broadcast on the local. At eight and nine, they just ran Hannity and, or they ran Tucker and then Hannity. They're regularly scheduled programs, and they ran them without commercials, uh, right? <laughs> because if they run the commercials, that's when you get the chance to flip around to see what else is going on. What else? Yeah. And so if you, to, if to you keep the audience almost yeah. anywhere else on your dial that night, then what you found was the one six hearings, and Fox decided that they didn't want anybody stumbling across that. Right. By the way, just as as an aside uh, on Fox News, it is infuriating that they have so few like straight news people that if some tragedy strikes, and because I usually will flip through the channels, they'll have their talking head opinion guys talking through like something serious. Like Jesse Waters is now like fucking talking about like kids getting shot. It's like you don't have anybody else to like take well, over. Somebody please get Brett Bayer out of bed for fuck's yeah. sake. <laughs> We cannot have we cannot He's have Judge Janine Pirro here talking her way through the goddamn mass shooting. 
They literally don't have anybody other than him, right? I mean, it's 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 crazy. Anyway, I have not watched the rest of the hearings that have gone on during the day as closely. But like I was saying, I don't think that we have learned anything new. I do think that the most absurd part of the the house manager or the not house managers, whatever they are, the, the committee members' presentation is this insistence that Donald Trump had a seven point plan to overturn the election, like which is like it's one thing to go back and like sort of ad hoc throw numbers onto the things that he did and say. See, seven-point plan. But you're not going to convince me or anyone else <laughs> that Donald Trump <laughs> sat down doing, one night with, with Eastman and Hannity and whoever the hell else and figured out the route to – yeah, and, and, and had some sort of like bullet-listed plan of what to do in order to overturn the election. That's just not the sort of animal that Donald Trump is, and you'll never convince me otherwise. Right, and I think – Everybody gets that, but you're right. It does kind of strain credulity when people say that. But I don't know if maybe they mean it in the way that, you know, he gave this speech that he wrote. But, like, you know, the president doesn't do a lot of the writing, but it's his ideas. And he, Trump probably was like, I want not to leave office. And so Eastman's like, I got it, boss, and did everything else, right? Just like uh, during one of the hearings, uh, I saw a blurb in the news where it was like, Trump provided a response with footnotes i'm like trump did not write <laughs> like, <laughs> like come on but it's presented in that way just to kind of cut through the clutter the one amusing thing that did come out of this was rudy giuliani insisting that he was not drunk on election night on twitter <laughs> after uh jason miller i think is the guy's name the sort of fat-faced motherfucker uh, who's a communications guy for the Trump campaign. Jason Miller was skinny and rat-looking. No, that's Stephen Miller. Stephen Miller. Stephen Miller, yeah. A couple higher-ups, in like Stepien and Miller, in the Trump campaign were talking about how on election night at fucking 2 in the morning or whatever, Giuliani wanders into the room and just tells Trump, just fucking go out there and tell him you won, boss. Like, <laughs> like just, just say it. We won. They're stealing it from us. And they said, and obvious, the words were like an obviously drunk or obviously intoxicated Rudy Giuliani. And Rudy comes on Twitter the next day at about happy hour, by the way, and says, uh, <laughs> the only thing I was drinking that night was my favorite drink, Diet Pepsi. I don't know what, what anybody's talking about. You'll be hearing from my attorney or something like that. Uh, he later deleted the tweet, obviously. Right. By the way, I'm, I'm surprised that it would take someone else and not Trump to come up with that idea. Just claim the victory. That sounds like a Trump impulse. Like, ah, I'm just going to go out there. And, and even, well, he was probably going to do it anyway, but right, not in an official right. way, maybe. You yeah. know? Even seeing yeah. that clip for the first time, like I'm sure I've heard it a few times, but even just seeing him walk out there on election night and say, we won this so big, we won in a landslide, and we won as big as anybody's ever won, and they're stealing it from us, like, it's just, it's fucking shocking. It's still, right. all of this right. time later, it's absolutely fucking shocking. And it shouldn't have been, and I, in fact, insisted on it for a whole year before the election happened, because anybody who was paying any attention whatsoever knew that even if he won, he was going to claim that the election was a fraud, just like he did in 2016, when he won right. and then claimed that the results were a fucking fraud. Of course he right. was never going to say that right. that that a loss was fair and square. Right. 
None of it is a surprise. The only part that remains a surprise to idiots like me, I guess, is that people can't come to terms with the fact that, like, the most obviously wildly unpopular president in history for a reason uh, <laughs> didn't, in fact, win again. Some, yeah. Someone who his entire public personality is hinged upon making sure that vast majorities of the of the populace fucking can't stand his ass. Uh, and then we're shocked when right. when he didn't win in a national popular vote. Anyway, I, we only even brought that up because I what I said last week in my approach to the January 6th hearings was my complaint about how totalizing everything is, how everything is everything. And so it doesn't matter any of the individual constituent pieces of evidence that Liz Cheney might bring forth, which, by the way, uh, also to note, I think they've done a largely good job, and especially on that first night when it was – I'm sorry, I forget the congressman's name from Mississippi. Oh, the uh, – The old black guy from Mississippi. Have, yeah, yeah. Uh, he be the chairman of this whole thing? Yeah. He, he yeah. was good without being, without being Adam Schiff, basically, without, without right. being the sort of person who gets hysterical and up on his moral high horse and all of that. Uh, he was good, and so was Liz Cheney, and I think that they're better off with those two leading the proceedings than they are with – like, Jamie Raskin is fine, but he tends to get emotional and a little bit yeah. too into himself. Adam Schiff, I imagine, is very effective in a courtroom, but will be fucking hated by anybody who disagrees with him here. Like, he has no credibility whatsoever with anybody who doesn't already agree with him. And Kinzinger, in the same way, who has his own sort of appeal, is also sort of up his own ass here in the last little while and starting to annoy me a little bit. Benny Thompson. Benny Thompson, that's right. Uh, By the way, I've never heard of this guy until this January 6th committee. I've seen him around for a few years. He just existed, yeah. Yeah, he's not bombastic, he's not over the top, but he he does sort of lay it out there for you. And I thought he did a good job, and I think that Cheney's done a good job as well. Anyway. What I was complaining about last week is that no single piece of evidence or any one thing can possibly change anyone's mind because everything is just about everything else. The, 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 the totalizing nature of our politics and our culture war says that everything has to be about everything. And there are a few stories this week that play directly into that. On the one hand, there's this very long article from The Intercept, which you can go read. I'll put a link in the show notes. It is by Ryan Grimm at The Intercept. It's called Elephant in the Zoom. Meltdowns have brought progressive advocacy groups to a standstill at a critical moment in world history. And it's a a very lengthy article, but to sum it up as quickly as I can, it's basically a look at the internal workings of a number of different progressive advocacy issue groups. For example, uh, abortion rights group and various ecological concerned groups and race-oriented groups and how so-called cancel culture or call-out culture has resulted in institutional failure of these groups to be able to focus on their stated mission and instead get involved in sort of awful internal politics Uh, The the classic formulation is that the left eats itself alive. And over and over again, Grimm talks to 
people who head these various groups and explains various ways in which these groups fucking eat themselves alive from the inside out rather than maintain a focus on their ostensible purpose. And a lot of that obviously rose out of the George Floyd summer protests, combine that with the the COVID lockdown stuff and the fact that none of these groups were in person anymore. And so that's why it's called Elephant in the Zoom is because it seems to be the case that depersonalizing this stuff in a way that where everybody's just sitting at home on their computer rather than meeting face-to-face ends up making things worse in terms of uh, the interpersonal dynamics of a so-called office when the office doesn't exist anymore. Reading through that that lengthy article, uh, and yeah, to an extent I'm falling victim of like seeing the thing that I'm complaining about in everything else that I'm looking at. And now the irony here being, of course, that everything is everything. And now I'm saying that everything is everything is everything, right? So so forgive that uh, particular unfortunate irony. But I couldn't help but see the the main problem that Grimm is identifying here is exactly the problem that I've been talking about when it relates to this, this, the totalizing nature of the, of the culture war, which is that these people don't go to work and then just do work and then go home and have these, these separate lives, right? It's that right. the work has to be about achieving justice for not just this one issue set, whether you're, so you're a, a reproductive rights outfit where you're trying to make sure that people have access to abortion and, and contraception and healthcare, and, and you're, maybe you have a specific focus on, on, on women of color, right? So that, that's your per- particular lane in the reproductive rights world. But that's not enough, right? You also yes. have to be concerned with making sure that you're dismantling systems of white supremacy, not just within your own organization, but also in the world at large. It's, it's this notion of mission creep where you go from trying to do one thing really well to trying right. to save the whole fucking world, right? Right. But doing so in a destructive way, right? I highly recommend people read it. I know there are a lot of words in it, and I uh, skimmed the last couple of paragraphs. But a really good argument made in, in, the, uh, in this article, near the end, uh, there was a leader of – and again, all of these people are like progressives. They got into this movement for whatever, you know, uh, environmental reasons, uh, social justice, reproductive rights, whatever the case may be. But – not uh, just not just Democrats. Like, yeah, these are yeah. people who are, this is right. this is the activist class. Or right, and, and actually, what it is, it's a it's probably more a generational thing than anything else. Because the people who are at the institutional level at a lot of these organizations are people who have been doing. They're forty and fifty and sixty years old. They're people who have been doing this for yes. a long period of time. Right. Right. And. Near the end, one of these leaders, I forget, I don't even know if they attribute it to a specific person, but they, they said, I'm going to read off the article here. It says, another leader said the strife has become so destructive that it feels like an op, like an operation. Uh, I'm not saying it's a right-wing plot because we are incredibly good at doing ourselves in, but if you tried, you couldn't conceive of a better right-wing plot to paralyze progressive leaders by catalyzing the existing culture where internal turmoil and micro campaigns are mistaken for strategic advancement of social impact. So basically, there's, there's, it, and you know, maybe this is not indicative of all these uh, groups, but if people who are leading these groups are saying like, I can't even say something without considering like how it's going to be received, uh, because a lot of people seem to have this 
I'm going to disparage and destroy if I see something that I slightly don't like, right? Forget, you know, civil liberties at the ACLU or reproductive rights at wherever, right? It's not going to be about me and you, and I'm going to take you down. Like, it seems like people don't, maybe they think, oh, I, I don't have control externally, so I'm just going to try to destroy the leadership in my own unit. And they totally, like you said, with the mission creep, they totally lose sight of the mission statement of whatever it is that they're trying to do, right? And there is no establishing boundaries, which is what people talk up, right? Like, I mean, you came to work and you're here to push this cause. Stay on task. I don't even understand. I mean, uh, after the George Floyd thing happened, I didn't know all these companies were like, we need to like reevaluate, like just do whatever the fuck you were doing. If you're doing environmental stuff, continue doing that. What is your role in the George Floyd thing? Right, and right? as pointed out in the article, like, what do you want me to apologize for exactly? Right. Like, what? <laughs> if, yeah. If what you're like, I can't fix 240 years of American institutional yeah. uh, white supremacy right. and racism. All I can do is try to make sure that, like, I don't know, black ladies have access to health care, which is right. what I showed up to work to do today. Right. So, like, and which it, they haven't been doing much of that uh, in the last. Apparently, I, I'm surprised that uh, things have gone this bad. Where all this effort, I mean, somebody uh, said upwards of like 90 percent of their energy spent on this nonsense instead of like whatever the, they're supposed to do. And there was one executive director who was like thinking out loud, like how they can find a way to filter out these kind of disruptive people from joining their groups because they just want to do the thing right. they were trying they, to do. They, 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 they referenced the fact that Bernie in the 2020 campaign was having problems where they were just tearing each other apart from the inside out. Right. And he went to his, the top people in his campaign and said, stop hiring activists. Start yeah. hiring people who just want to get me elected president. Stop yeah. hiring <laughs> fucking activists because we're completely losing the plot here when we're trying to solve all of these other problems. We can try and work on these problems later after you've made right. me the goddamn president. Not, not right. like you can't worry. Like you already have it. They, they had a union already. They already had, they, they were well organized and all of that, but they were tearing themselves apart. And it's this funny thing where. It, it's a, and it, this is also pointed out in the article, as you said, good article. It tackles this from many, many sides. It's almost a function. You have to think that it's a function of despair and, a, and, of, a, yes. and of a belief that no matter what they're going to do, it's going to be a failure. And it's this, it's this weird, like, collapsing thing where because they no longer believe that anything that they do is going to have an impact in terms of saving the whole fucking world, and because everything right. is everything, it's not enough just to make sure that, like, I keep going back to this one particular thing, but, like, 50 people, 50 black ladies in the neighborhood get access to good reproductive health care, right? right? Like, yeah, sure, it's good for those 50 ladies, but how does that solve all of the fucking problems in the world? And because right. everything is everything, we haven't actually done anything in the world, so why bother? Uh, and also, I don't like my boss because he fucking got on my case last week, so he must be a fucking racist, right? Right. Yeah, it's like this weird fixation and like, oh, I can't – I'm powerless – for these other big things. Uh, so now I'm going to spend all my energy, my negative energy towards like destroying, like, I honestly don't get it. Like, what is the point? Like you're at, to the point where like, even any win you're not taking, uh, further on in the article, they were talking about, the, there are these different stages of these movements. And, uh, it said basically this 
identity crisis where people feel that they're powerless and they kind of react in these negative ways actually happens when they have like a lot of the success, you know, where positive things are starting to develop, but it's not happening fast enough. So maybe it's a game of expectations. I don't know if the Bernie movements and uh, the Occupy Wall Street movements, their, their, their goals were like so unrealistically high that like not meeting that unreasonably high thing means failure instead of like even if you move towards it that's success take the wins where they come you know like anything is better than nothing think about the way that the discourse on gay rights has gone in the last couple of generations now admittedly i wasn't deep in the weeds on this shit back in the 90s i would like maybe i saw a gay marriage article in newsweek in 1997 or something like that right like it's not something that i was paying attention to in the way that we pay attention to things now and I certainly never would have seen the most hysterical voices on this particular subject in the way that Twitter can elevate the most hysterical voices on any particular subject. But my feeling is that the gay rights people got what they wanted and then became increasingly hysterical about yeah. the farthest end of the rest of the things that they want, right? And that, right. that's that's a, a, a slightly unfavorable caricature of what's going on. But I, I think that it, it tracks. I think that you can look at sort of uh, – and yeah, you can say that now I'm engaging in like respectability politics or whatever, and that's fine. But like they had a goal. They wanted marriage equality, right? And attached to marriage equality, not not explicitly but sort of implicitly – was all the rest of it. it was just this sort of acceptance of gays we're in the culture queer. right and it and the, and and part of the reason that it mat- that it was so easy and this has been said better by people other people elsewhere is that uh, everybody knows gay people right you you have a best friend or you have friends who are gay there are people in your family who are gay they were always there all along and that's what made it so much easier to accept and that the the right. more that they you presented that as as just a simple and obvious and easy thing like marriage equality where it, it seems perfectly reasonable that – And it's not foreign. Like Dick Cheney's daughter is a lesbian and this person is a lesbian right. and this person is gay. And it's like, oh, these are people we know, people we like. It's not like you can't other something you know. And right. so and there was, kinda... and, and, but there wasn't any of this like – I can only describe as just insane hostility. The way that the gender activists act online when anybody right. who – ostensibly should be their ally and who would think of themselves as their yeah. ally goes anywhere near a subject like Emily Bazelon. I think this article just came out today. I haven't had a chance to read it yet. It's a long piece that she wrote for the New York times magazine. And I saw her, she posted a lo- a long Twitter thread about it today. The article is available on the times website. I'll make sure that it's in the, uh, in the show notes. And of course, I read through her Twitter thread, and the the very like second or third tweet from a, a, a Twitter commenter is, "When are cis people going to realize that we don't want to fucking hear from cis people about trans issues?" Right. And and uh, Emily Bazelon, why didn't you use your considerable power at the New York Times to right. to to maybe have this handed over to somebody, uh, a trans writer who could have written this article in a much like. <laughs> And so anything that is treating the question of how and when trans kids or or children who believe themselves to be trans or have diagnosed gender dysmorphia, how and what sort of treatment and medical interventions they should receive, anything that treats that in an even-handed sort of way is 
presented by a certain segment, a very loud activist segment of the of the gender ideology movement as being radical anti-trans thing that's going to kill trans people, that's going to result in violence against trans people. And this is Emily right. Bazelon. This is right. like, she is what white American progressive liberalism looks right. like. Like she right. is, she's everything about your side of the aisle. If you can imagine that your side of the aisle includes people who are like deeply empathetic to your plight, but also just want to understand what everyone else is thinking about things. Right. But right. they can't, they have to reject it. It seems like it doesn't matter who it is. It's like this disparage and destroy playbook is applied against any, like the slightest criticism instead of arguing like Emily Bazelon can make an argument you disagree with. I mean, that's perfectly fine. Just make that point. Like, but it's always Except these that categorical. It's, the fact, it's not even the argument. It's that she is at all assigned to right. write this article. Now right. she's Matt Walsh. Like, that's right. how fucking insane yeah. that there's no <laughs> distinction between the Matt Walshes of the world and the Emily Bazelons of the world because they shouldn't be talking on this. Like, what are you talking about? You are. Less than one—you are a, a vanishingly small percentage of the population by right. any measure, right? Putting aside the insane polling done on Gen Zers and, and whatever, is, whatever we got coming after Gen Z about, like, the, the fact that there's an— Alpha, beta. Right. There's an explosion of uh, identification with uh, non-conforming, non-strictly non hetero uh, lifestyles. But you are. You are just this tiny little— if, if, if the only people allowed to talk about trans stuff is trans people, then we're n like nobody's ever going to hear about it. Like it's just right. not it's not going to be a subject of conversation. So I don't know what it is you're actually after here. Right. It seemed, what was that? Uh, don't blame the whenever there's bad news. Like don't blame the messengers. They would say like don't. They're just telling you the bad news. They're not causing the bad news. And it's now it's like it's like people are blaming the messenger even if the message is otherwise sound. Right, it's kind of this like, who are you to say this thing? So like, if somebody else said the same thing, it would be a better argument. Like, I don't understand. It's either a good or a bad argument on its own. It should be anyways, but right. And what's are. funny is that if in fact it had written, if the exact same article is written by a trans person, there would be people in the gender ideology movement who would say that in the same way that when a black person says something that is against the the current uh, politically right. expedient thing for the. What, what people consider black political thought, then right. you get the Nicole Hannah Joneses of the world saying that this isn't, that's not actually what black people think. Right. Like, even though it's a black less, person saying it, right. you're not right. an authentic black person because you don't have the correct black politics. In right. the same way, this, this would, if a trans person wrote the exact same article that Emily Bazelon has written, they would say, well, she just is a function of a, a, a cis hetero white supremacist architecture and there's she just can't escape it right even though she's she's just been socialized into this despite her transness yes em emily buzzlon's part of the uh white supremacist movement right and getting back to that uh, the grim article in the intercept i don't have any direct obviously i'm not in these spaces as they say uh but my mother used to run the midwives alliance of north america or something like that and every time in the years that she was involved with that organization, she's a midwife, she was a doula before that, she births babies, that's her whole thing, it's, it's what she does. She became the head of this, this midwives alliance, and the entire thing was this constant internal politics and fighting and bitching and trying to 
trying to wrangle the internal politics of this organization in terms of race and gender stuff. And it was like it completely consumed her for a few years right. there. Where it had nothing to do like the, the the this tiny little percentage of the of the work was dedicated to actually trying to do the work of whatever it was that they're trying to do. Improve health basically to improve health outcomes for right. birthing people was is is the goal. And instead they spent like ninety percent of the of the energy on the internal politics of this this sort of like just stupid political infighting stuff. And to it's just what nuts. end though? Like that's what what I don't get. The people who are and it's not everybody in these groups. Everybody gets sucked into it, but it's not everyone who's instigating these goofy arguments. But like the people who do that, what is the end goal? Like you can't solve all these things that you're raising in this group. This group is trying to do you know it's helping purely, mothers. It's purely power politics. That's all it ever is, right? Is that the people who are not in charge have a way of forcing the people who are in charge to bend to their will. And that comes up over and over again in the Grimm article, right? Which is right, that- but at the cost of the mission that they, I would assume, sincerely believe in, right? I mean, why do you join environmental groups if you don't believe in doing something about the goddamn environment, right? Like, what is the point of this side nonsense? Because if you've decided that uh, global warming is going to take out the entire population in 150 years anyway, and that anything we do is completely pointless then all right. that matters is my relative power in this organization ultimately, right? And if I don't feel right. respected, and if I can't get you to bend the knee to me, <laughs> then, like, who cares about saving the fucking trees? The trees are right. dead anyway. Right. Do you think uh, if some of these groups are not salvageable, they could just start a new groups and just say, no mission creep and boundaries established. The only thing we're here for... The only energy we can expend is on the mission at hand. Nothing else. So, no. And I, <laughs> I will tell you, <laughs> I will tell you why. In another article that I'll link to, also from the Times, which I apologize if I mean I would apologize if I thought that you a didn't have a subscription to the Times, and b if you did or didn't would actually read these articles anyway, which you won't. But uh, I will link to it, and I'll, I'll tell you what. I'll even make. The, the Times articles that I talk about tonight, those will be so-called gift articles. Oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Where is it a first-come, first-serve? If somebody clicks on that, the second person doesn't get the gift? No. Anybody can read it. Any, it can be clicked on any number of times. It can be oh. gifted over and over again. For how much? It doesn't cost me anything as, yeah, a, free, yeah. as a paying Times subscriber because you only get 10 a month, right? Oh, so you only yeah. get cost you one, then. 10 of these gift articles a month. I know. I'm just saying. You only have, you have they should uh, roll over, by the way. Right. Yeah, I should be able to build them up. And then in like 2040, I can just give away the New York Times. I mean, fucking... Like Robin Hood. Robin Hood, yeah. Inside, speaking of Robin Hood, inside a corporate culture war stoked by a crypto CEO. So this is a story in the Times about Jesse Powell, who is the CEO of the crypto exchange Kraken now. These are all a bunch of words that don't mean anything to anyone. Uh, but a crypto exchange is where you can go to buy and sell Sounds like nerds and various bros. cryptocurrencies such as Bitcoin or Ethereum or Dogecoin or any of a number of other cryptocurrencies. Kraken was, I believe, the second or third largest of these, Coinbase being the biggest one. 
and we, we can talk about in a little bit about how crypto is having their own problems. Coinbase just this week is laying off, I think, 18% of their staff and uh, freezing all new hires in the wake of this latest Bitcoin. In particular, Bitcoin has taken quite a spill since the start of the year. It's down 50% since Matt Damon started doing those ads, along with a bunch of the other crypto stocks. Anyway, or cryptocurrencies. Kraken is this crypto exchange and the reason that I bring it up in relation to this Ryan Grimm article at The Intercept about how everything is everything is because this CEO, Jesse Powell, has determined that rather than bow to the PC overlords of the day, he's going to have conversations uh, that could make people feel uncomfortable. And if you don't like it, uh, you can just fucking leave and <laughs> we'll give you four months salary. And all you have to do is promise never to work for Kraken again. And he allegedly, in the company Slack channels, had conversations along the lines of, if you can identify as a sex, can you identify as a race or ethnicity? And he also questioned the use of preferred pronouns and led a discussion about who can refer to another person as the N-word. Further, he said that questions about women's intelligence and appetite for risk, as compared with men's, are not as settled as one might have initially thought. <laughs> What's this question? Anyway, so <laughs> the point here is not like the sort of just asking questions libertarian yeah. ethos of the of this Powell character, but rather to suggest that going in the other direction from say running an organization intent on making sure that black ladies in the inner city have access to reproductive health care and running a crypto exchange, neither of these endeavors are the correct forum for solving all of the world's goddamn problems, right. including whether or not and who can say the N-word. Right. You're not at work to solve that. – that's what – I mean this is like the other side of the same coin. Just fucking do the thing you're there to work for. Why are you opining on nonsense in the first place? Just do the thing. Like isn't there a reason why people for a long time were saying at the dinner table or in polite yeah. company, no – uh, religion, no politics, no, you know, how much money you make, you know, because those things kind of derail otherwise pleasant interactions, right? Just how about stick to that? Right, this is from the article. This month, Mr. Powell unveiled a 31-page culture document outlining Kraken's libertarian philosophical values and commitment to diversity of thought and told employees in a meeting that he did not believe that they should choose their own pronouns. The documents and a recording of the meeting were obtained by the Times. Those who disagreed could quit, Mr. Powell said, and opt into a program that would provide four months of pay if they affirmed that they would never work at Kraken again. Employees have until Monday to decide if they want to take part. When, uh, when does the diversity of thought kick in? <laughs> the, <laughs> I believe so in these his, things, and if you don't fuck is, off... <laughs> his take is basically... We should be allowed to have these conversations, and the pushback has been, why? <laughs> but these are not, but these are not conversations. You're saying you're imposing your thing on others, and if you don't like it, piss so off. One right? On this one particular aspect, yes, he is talking about uh, the, the on the pronouns thing. He said at a company wide meeting on June first, Mr. Powell was discussing Kraken's global footprint with workers in seventy countries when he veered to the topic of preferred pronouns. It was time for Kraken to quote, control the language, he said on the video call. It's just not practical to allow 3,000 people to customize their pronouns, he said. 
That same day, he invited employees to join him in a Slack channel called Debate Pronouns, where he suggested that people use pronouns based not on their gender identity but their sex at birth, according to conversations seen by the Times. He shut down replies to the threat after it became contentious. Which was immediately. (laughs) I would, first of all, and I'm, I'm not in, again, not in any of these spaces, why do they have Slack? Why do they have an instant messaging service where apparently you're at free reign to discuss whatever the fuck it is that you want to discuss? And also you can have all of these subgroups where everybody over here is talking shit about everybody over there. Like in what possible way is this good for business? Now, is right. it, it, That's what they all use, right? Yeah, everybody uses Slack, uh, and they they should stop. They should not be. You should have to compose fucking professional emails, and you should be wary of the fact that uh, somebody at that company is going to be reading all of this shit all of the time. Right. And again, what happened to the establishing of boundaries at work? Why are people just again (laughs) wading into these issues? I I still don't understand. I mean, where I work, we don't have Slack, but we have. Skype and stupid Microsoft Teams thing now. And people just talk about work and maybe the weather and like what they're going to have for, for, for lunch. Look at the rule followers at the IRS. Right. But again, if you try to go into those things, it's going to derail everything. And it's proof every time. I mean, all these examples, what happened to this fucking libertarian controlling thought or whatever the fuck, right? How did that work out, right? It fell apart, right? So like why continue to pursue this failed approach it always fails it always fails right it is obvious i guess why i put these two stories together but it just seems so clear to me that everything is fucking everything to everyone and it's not just the activist class on the left where they're obsessed with uh, social justice and racial justice and all the rest it has become just as important in other spaces in in tech bro libertarian land to right. also have these fucking conversations about everything and that somehow because you run a crypto exchange it comes with a certain a certain politics that if you don't adhere to that you're right. not going to be welcome in even if it, even if the politics is simply i want to be polite and not talk about these things that like and while at the same time like yeah, I think it's this interesting conversation to have, like say at Slate or certain other workplaces where you have this uh, – your whole purpose is that you're a, a culture website, right? So that, yeah, that might be the sort of place where you have a conversation about who gets to say the N-word or who doesn't and why is it why, – why can you say it in rap songs? Have right. you heard the hip-hop <laughs> where they say this word all the time? Why can't I say that? Yeah, if you work at the AV Club or Slate or some other culture site, that makes sense to have that conversation to a certain extent if you're just a fucking crypto exchange where you're just trying to lure in the next group of suckers in order to buy into this nonsense like even at my salon that wouldn't like just read the room man right don't talk about it yeah that's the other thing there's not a lot of reading of rooms you know people don't seem to know the setting and the place like you know co-workers you know there are some co-workers that could talk about more specific things and uh whatever but in a general like we don't group. all need to talk about this yeah right like these slacks i assume a lot of people can see what you're writing right so it's not just going to be your immediate circle of like fr- work friends you know it could be just anybody at work that sees it and they're going to find something objectionable and then you know it's going to turn into nonsense all right speaking of everything is everything here's a oh. still from the latest uh, there's uh, violence being done upon me right now isn't there the latest oh, is this the uh, middle Disney eastern film. 
Yeah, light year. I've got to see this on Thursday, by the way. Light year. Very exciting. Uh, what's, this is... You're going to see it with this filth in it? <laughs> so why don't you describe to me what we're seeing here in this in this still photograph from the film? It a- seems to be a uh, loving couple looking at each other some kind of way with some kid. It's disgusting. Some kind of way, indeed. <laughs> this is, by the way, it's not as I can't call it a photograph because it's. You said a still. It's an animated. It's a, didn't say it's a computer-generated image, so it's it's not even real. Oh, that's people. true. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> In front of a child, no it's less. A, it's a biracial of some sort couple here. It appears to be a, a black astronaut and possibly a white, her white lady friend. White Asian? Or Maybe. just white? Maybe. Who knows? We don't know. Anyway, they're gazing into one another's eyes longingly, lovingly, while holding a toddler. It appears to be 18 months old or two years old. Not a, not a product of their love, right? Uh, technically. You don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you don't know. In a strictly I mean, physical way, I think it's safe to say that Abe, in fact, does know that it was um, not a what product. If one of these people is a trans woman of their physical love. Anyway, that that was a picture that got the attention of some obnoxious people on the right. And because, uh, my old stopping grounds, uh, the Middle East, uh, they uh, banned the movie yeah. on account of a kiss. I don't know if it's these two kissing. But, right. So uh, this, is, this, is, <laughs> this is what is in part amusing to me, is that at the same... So this pissed off the Ben Shapiros of the world, in particular uh, Ben Shapiro. <laughs> uh, <laughs> when he said... He's one of them. Yeah, he is one yeah. of the Ben Shapiros of the world. He said that parents should keep that in mind before deciding whether to take their kids to see Lightyear, which hits theaters this week. What he wants them to keep in mind is that, according to an executive producer at Disney, they've decided to add queerness to its programming. That they've, they've made a conscious decision to add queerness to their programming. Uh, and that, that is... At Disney... Made clear by the fact that this is a same-sex couple uh, who love each other, who have a child together in some form or fashion. And uh, Ben Shapiro finds that objectionable. And he goes on to say that this is part of, this is somehow some sort of like sexual content. That oh. this represents. They're looking at each other. Yeah. And, and that, of course. Just like Nala and Simba. Is very stupid. As as you were saying, there are fourteen. I think it's fourteen countries that will not have this movie. Disney was offered the opportunity to take this scene out or replace it with a a straight couple instead, and declined. And so instead, the uncensored version of the movie will go out to America and and a whole bunch of other countries. But this won't be seen in a number of others. And that is, it's funny to me. Because I don't think that Shapiro, on the one hand, is not making an anti-free speech statement here, and I think that should be clear. It's not against free speech for Shapiro to say that American parents should consider what's going on here before they decide whether or not they want to support this with their dollars. Although I do think it's worth pointing out that when you have a Republican Party in the hands of people like Ron DeSantis and Josh Hawley, who are in the position to, and in fact, continuing to effort actual legislation and policies that 
while you can't say that what Shapiro is doing is against free speech, you can say that these same powers invested in actual United States governments uh, would be an infringement of free speech. And it's curious that Shapiro would line himself up with the people in these other countries who would say, we don't even want this in our culture. So is, or I should say, the Ben Shapiros of the world, like Ben Shapiro, um, (laughs) they want voluntary censorship like at pixar and disney to say like they like i don't want it to be done by force but i want you to choose to like just pretend that lesbian couples don't exist literally avert your eyes like what is it that they want or is it like i'm just going to complain about this because it's an easy thing to you know complain for content it's going back to the old. This is the gay agenda. This is this is people pushing their Didn't gay say agenda those on people. Words in the tweet, when all it is is the acknowledgement that there are gay people in the world, right? Like that's right. that's that's all yeah, that's, it is, right? Did he I'm, say like not so hidden agenda in the tweet? He's quoting somebody else oh, saying okay. that. Yeah, right. And also, agenda is basically you're just saying that I don't agree with this, right? Just like when people say you're politicizing something, like you don't agree with it. You're not, the very fun Top Gun 2 was very political with the propaganda, but you agree with it, like rah, 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 America, and that's not political, right? And if, I'm sure there are couples who are opposite sex in this uh, cartoon movie, and that's not an agenda, right? But basically anything you disagree with is an agenda. It's maybe these people who are making films made a choice and this was one of them and and that's it right but this it speaks exactly even if you could get shapiro to acknowledge that this is just a picture of two gay people then in order for him to say that this is about pushing some sort of an agenda he has to like it has to come with everything else in the culture war right because you cannot just looking at the fact that there is a gay couple as a as a side couple of side characters in this Disney movie. And in the same way that at the end of Star Wars Episode Nine, The Rise of Skywalker, for the people who can't put those two and two together, there's a there's a gay kiss at the end of that movie where two It's like a kiss, but it's extra gay. It's right, it's a kiss, <laughs> but it's disgusting because it's a kiss. We don't need to have kissing. Right. We just put gay on it. Uh, it's a gay kiss at the end of it's two ladies and they and it's not it's not like super hot. It doesn't get me all fucking titillated, so there must be something wrong with it. I think is is what the objection is to that sort of thing, but the but it was a very tame, like just an embrace and a kiss. Right? Was yeah, like- it's fairly chaste. Yes, but what you have to believe about that is that it brings with it literally everything else. Right? right. That it can't just be this moment where it's an acknowledgement that in the vast, far long ago, in a galaxy far, far away, <laughs> that uh, sometimes. The ladies like to do the scissoring as opposed to that. It was, it's not all just uh, PIV or, or weird alien appendage in weird alien hole sort of thing that in you fact, the point. I, I'll keep you making the, I'll keep doing the weird hand symbols and stuff, Abe, if you want. Uh, Abe is blushing. It, need, it needs to be, it can't just be the fact that in the in the vast universe, there are a number of different ways for people to interact in terms of their partnerships. It it has to also be the case that this is just about grooming kids, right? There because was, he's he's this I... close to saying that this is what we were complaining about when we are complaining about the grooming of children. No, oh, and this remember that I found that Facebook post about Star Wars, and it was 
you know, just an innocent, like, this is what this looks like and this is what this looks like. And people had a lot to say about this picture of two different characters and like one in Clone Wars and one in the prequels or something. I don't know. But one of the comments was, when is Star Wars going to include more trans people? Like, really? first of all, how do you know they haven't? All right. But also yeah, calm down. Point. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Chewbacca is like 600 years old and used to be a chick. So I don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> Just, is that the backstory? That's little known backstory <laughs> on Chewie. Is that this this walk to identify this, female this, or this, this walking carpet used to be a rug muncher. Don't they need to have they need to <laughs> no, green light no, that no. a Star Wars story, the origin story of Chewbacca. So that's three stories about how everything is everything. And I acknowledge that I tend to as I tried to acknowledge earlier. I do this. It's a it's a natural human thing to try to connect yes. disparate facts and, yeah. and seek patterns where there aren't any. And if you read anything this week about the Google engineer who has since been canned, he was... Is he the uh, sentient AI guy? Right. So he claimed in an interview with the Washington Post that one of Google's natural language processing things, it's called Lambda. I forget what the acronym in particular stands for. But it's one of their, what amounts to a very fancy version of predictive texting, where it has absorbed just a incredible amount of human language interaction and has gotten very, very good at conversation, basically. Like we wouldn't know, like if it was communicating with us through chat, I would think I'm speaking to a human and not some right. Robot. So that's the the classic Turing test. One of the one of the things is, does it seem like a person? Right when you're. Right. But yeah, this one I don't I forget even why I'm bringing this up now. But this one engineer said that he had he had decided that this lambda program had sentience basically, and he went and he had a number of different conversations with this. And you can I'll make sure that there's a link in the show notes if you want to go read it. But he put out this lengthy blog post where he transcribes some of these conversations that he had with this program. And if you're looking for it, and if you're willing to believe, you can right. sort of come to the conclusion that he might be onto something, that this right. this thing is, a, is able enough to communicate in a back-and-forth, intelligent sort of way enough to where it, it, it could be convincing that there's, there's, there's something going on, there's some sort of ghost in the machine. I think it's nonsense. I think that it's just, a, it's just very good at right. faking it, basically, right? But with uh, motivated reasoning, you could uh, reach the right. conclusion. He and as pattern-seeking human beings that we are, it's just very, it's very easy to want to believe and then to, to draw from those beliefs uh, the conclusions that, that you were after. Right. And so... What do people not recognize that enough? Because I always just think, like, maybe I'm full of shit whenever these kind of stories come up. So, like, if I start to think, ooh, maybe there's something there, probably not. Right. So so that, that's just a big way of caveating what I'm getting at here, which is if everything is everything now, and if, if that's the world that we're living in where everything is everything. And, and what you've been saying, anytime that I bring up the – anytime we've had this conversation basically about – what the that entire intercept article is about right any anything where it's like the excesses of the woke left basically where where 
campus culture has become, as Andrew Sullivan would have put it in 2015, we are all on campus now. Uh, the, the whole Jonathan Haidt coddling of the American mind thing. Anytime that we've talked about that sort of thing, your response has been, ah, it'll go away. It'll fade it'll, away. Yeah. <laughs> it'll and fall I, of its own weight. <laughs> Right, it and un- under its own weight, it will collapse yeah. and that sort of thing. And that that if you can point at the interviews in this Ryan Grimm article as being evidence for your position, right? Which is right. that there are people who ostensibly should be allied with the people who are attacking them, who are recognizing that that cancel culture or so-called call-out culture is not a sustainable model because it continues to eat its own and that eventually there's just nothing that you can fucking do, right? Right. And that you either have to ignore it or you have to hope to escape the worst of it and and you can do that by by trying not to hire the wrong people. There was a guy in that article who said that he kept somebody who was established as problematic (laughs) on staff because it helped weed out all of the worst sort of activist class who wouldn't want to come and work for them knowing that they would have to be around this problematic person. Right. So my question is, if everything is everything, how do we come back from that? And I, maybe everything has always been everything and it's just taken sort of the internet and social media to allow us to sort of vocalize it in a certain way. But I, I don't know. My, my impression is that everything was not always everything, and that this is a new phenomenon. And is there any way to disentangle everything from everything in political and cultural life? It has something to do with there not being a monoculture. Right. Like, there, I don't know what. I'm not there yet in my brain. But it, it is not a coincidence that this is happening at the same time that we're all focused on different shit and not all looking at the same screen anymore. It's weird because I'm interested in this whole monoculture versus the fractured culture thing because to me it seems like the monoculture is almost more powerful now than it's ever been, right? Because there are fewer movies, there are fewer big movies. There are only six goddamn studios that make anything, right? There, Abe, you can go see basically everything all fucking year long. And, and it's only like... I do. <laughs> it's only like 50 or 60 movies, right? Like, right. You could, but... It's not but, like... I mean, you're not seeing everything. And it's different right. because, like, there's Apple TV and there's Netflix yeah, and there's Hulu. and there's watching different things during the week. Right, but in terms of the culture, in, in terms of the discussion, in terms of, like, like to an extent... You actually can know way less about the vast world and still participate in the monoculture in a way, right? Like in a, in a there it, isn't one that works when there is one, but there isn't one. I guess, but do you see what do you see what I'm saying? That that there is there's a way in which there's been this this collapse of everything. It sounds silly, but it's almost like the the way that there used to you go and look at a magazine rack in the '90s. You go to a newsstand, and there's 300 goddamn magazines there, right? And that, that's the monoculture. No, no, like, really? we have the because, internet now. There's right. millions of right, right. magazines. We're not all reading the same magazine. No, I know that, somewhere. but but because there are a billion fucking subreddits, and you can find your own little fucking niche in the niche in the world, right? Right, and you can. And, and, and in that way, the, the sort of subredditization of everything is the same as magazine culture in the, in the 80s and right. 90s, maybe, right? Where you can find your particular thing and become obsessed with it. At the same time, 
the front page of the internet is a thing and everybody sort of knows what's going on all at once and everybody knows like everybody knows what movies are out because again there's only a couple of fucking movies there's only Jurassic Park no lots of people don't watch any movies ever because they do other shit I'm, maybe I'm poorly making the point here, or or maybe I'm just wrong. I guess, but well, if you fixate on 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 just the movies front, you, you would have a point. But there's so much content. There's so many television shows. There are people are watching other people play video games on Twitch. Yeah. Uh, like so the the TikTok uh, videos, Instagram. So there are just so many different outlets out there that uh, just recently, you know, I was in the office on Tuesday and. The, the coworkers that I interact with, I know that they watch sports, right? So sports is like the one of the few things. Like, so if there was like a football thing happened, if the Falcons played the day before and it was a Monday, that's an easy talk, right? There's, I don't know how many millions of people watch Yellowstone. I've never yeah. seen it, right? No, that's, there are lots and lots of people who 20 years ago would have seen movies that now right. never, ever watch movies. They right. don't and, do and, it. Except t- t- so the point that the point that I'm trying to make here is that the common li- the lingua franca of the age is still there. And it's just that it's just everything, right? So whether you're talking about uh uh fucking Tiger King and Netflix, or whether you're talking about some other podcast, or whether you're talking about the NFL in a weird way, you can still have the same exact cultural conversation because everything is everything, right? That the that the the underlying in in the way that I said that Trump, what what was it that we argued about at the very beginning of this podcast? I can't remember the exact terms of the argument. It was it was a conversation about whether or not Trump corrupts everything, right? Yeah, it was about it, Trump okay. corrupt. It was it yeah. was it was my insistence that there was this underlying thing going on, where no matter what you wanted to talk about, it all came back down to Trump ultimately, right. and that in this weird way, even non political people. Yeah. Trump had infected the minds of everyone in a way that previous culturally dominant memes had not. Yes, and we argued because I said not everyone. Right, but not to go back to an old argument that never went anywhere anyway. But the point that I was trying to make is that that was becoming this thing that undergirded everything. And, and now when I say everything is everything, what I'm what I'm trying to say is that everything is about this culture war thing that's happening. And it doesn't matter whether you're talking about Yellowstone. Yellowstone fits into this weird culture war narrative. If you look at who talks about it online, it's the fucking uh, David Hookstead of the Daily uh, whatever the fuck. And it, it, it's the it's the conservatives who have this conversation about Yellowstone. And they, they think that they're doing something in a way that, that matters to their conception of what it means to be a moral person in the world. In the right. same way that people who talk about other things on the like who, uh, succession, but the people who, who like succession don't just like it as a television show. They think that their liking of it and their consumption of it is in some way a reflection of their moral politics. I think that the people you read on Twitter are like that, but I don't think that's most people. Might be a lot yeah, of I do people. wonder how widespread. Half, but like plenty that. of people watch Yellowstone with no. They're just watching Yellowstone. All right, so then I'm wrong. Everything is not I don't everything. No, if you're. I, no. You're prob- you're right. I'm just all I'm saying is I think that it's not a coincidence that if you if your whole thing right now is everything is everything, I think it has got to have something to do with the fact that there is no monoculture anymore. Right, but what I'm saying is that so if I know if the monoculture has collapsed and it does not exist anymore, 
the thing that is, in fact, the sameness of everything, this weird, homogenized, microwaved version of American culture where, yes, I acknowledge that the content maw is vast and and completely impossible to be properly consumed all the all of the way right at the same time all of the conversations about those things are the same goddamn conversation and and whether it's Chappelle, it's a Chappelle thing or whether it's a, a nanette thing on the other hand those two things are in exact conversation with one another in a way that they weren't that 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 two comedy specials simply wouldn't have been 20 years ago i think i don't i don't think you can do this but i'm gonna do this anyways but like if you were to split those monoculture into negative monoculture and positive or neutral monoculture, like maybe on things that people disagree with, there's a few things. There's like there's this this rift, and and it's man and manifest in these debates and arguments online, right? But like on the neutral positive, there isn't a monoculture other than uh, the closest thing would be sports, where it's just like a hey, like you can basically yeah, the closest thing there, is there's a less people are watching sports, right? Something that connects everybody uh like everybody knows something about whatever right like on the neutral positive side there isn't that but on the negative side yeah people have like people have firm stances on if if the if if trump is like the in the middle like you're gonna be on one side or the other of it like it's, it's a clear you're on that side i'm on this side and then you can extrapolate from that oh this is a bad person because you believe this or that but I think that's a much more limited, and I think it's mostly an online thing. Because in in wh- whenever I'm out and about, maybe it's liberal Atlanta or whatever, so maybe it's, there's no friction there. But I've I, I've never seen that where people are arguing about stuff that you see online on the negative side. People talk about positive stuff. Oh, did you see the fucking whatever? You know, like the Golden State Warriors did a thing or whatever, like uh, or Squid Game, whenever that was a big thing. Like I think in when people are interacting with each other in the real world, that doesn't, at least in my limited experience, I haven't seen that be an issue. So then the answer to my question is that everything is everything, but it's only everything online, right? Uh, basically, so, the worst parts of people seems to kind of come out online. <laughs> yeah, I think it would be fair to say that the more online someone is, the way more true that is. Okay. So for people and, and, and who don't do so, much it, internet stuff, again, this, it's this comes, less true. This comes, it always comes back around to me saying, like, but then it matters that no, it, yeah. the people who run the goddamn world are very much online, right? Like, right. And I'm not just talking about the staffers at the New York Times or the Washington Post newsrooms. I'm talking about, like, Ted Cruz is an extremely online person, right? Yes. Like, he is, it, it's, really gross to watch uh his performance of himself on twitter but like the most important people in the world are super consumed with what's happening online and so if everything is everything to the 20 percent of people who sort of create the world around us that we interact with on a daily basis then I'm, it's not something that that we should just dismiss out no, of hand not, not saying dismiss and and i and, and i do think you're right uh what happens online uh, in some cases, spills over into the real world, and to tie it to the Intercept article, where they were kind of pointing how a lot was lost by the Zoom meetings and the uh, online meetings, because there is something that you like all the nonverbal communication, like you can actually talk mm-hmm. to people in person, and you can go a lot further than yes. uh, 
online right. because the slightest thing will be like misconstrued and fuck right. you, you're on this so side. So your, and- your acknowledgement of that, that, the, that yeah. this has real world effects that are profoundly negative, right. tells me that it's not enough to just say, well, I guess this will just fade away, okay, right? but what are you because supposed to do? That's what I'm asking is beyond right. – Hoping that it just right. sort of fades away. I don't think that that is a, a rational hope based on my interaction with the online world, right? Now, so, a- acknowledging that that right. is a – that, yeah, I have a fucking high-speed connection to the worst aspects of humanity on, on my phone at all times, and I'm and I'm fully deranged by it, right? Like the, right. Twitter is a deranging agent, and I, and I recognize that, but – then, then what? How how does one reinvent the world? Because you're not just going to pull the fucking plug. As much as I would love it, if 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 they would just turn it all yeah, off. But that's why the answer has to be: it's just going to go away, because there is no other answer. And also, by the way, I, I wasn't hinging my uh, my prediction on hope. I say this because people are going to recognize that they're not having a positive experience, right? And they're going to disengage because, like, fuck this. I don't need this. Like, slowly people are going to, like, why? Like, many, many years ago I stopped commenting online because I'm like, fuck this. Like, like, people don't understand anything. Everything is misconstrued. So it's like go to, like, group chats or direct messaging or in real-life conversations. And I think people will eventually gravitate towards that because eventually there's a few people that have fun with this garbage kind of like interaction but most people are like i'm not having fun like i don't want to do this and they're going to stop doing it they're going to start engaging people like i mean right now people are still engaging with clearly bad faith actors online and at some point they're just going to tune them out like fuck that i'm not going to deal with this person hey look at that cat picture or did you see what happened here yeah, or i'll do so what i ex- did a long ex- time ago that's extremely optimistic but it but people are not gluttons for punishment you think people are going to continue to engage in this way, even though they're not having a good time, it's, it's no. I think that, impacting I think that, their mental health in a negative way. They're going to continue no, I doing think this. That they'll, I think that they'll further willingly self-isolate in their bubbles. I think that they will. Right, but then they'll eat their. That, that's the thing. It's like, almost like a cancer. Yeah, and like then the bubble will collapse. They're, they're going to turn on each other, so the group will get smaller and smaller. There's always going to be some fucking asshole in whatever group you're in, and they're like, "Well, you're not." Pure enough, and then it's going to get smaller, and then eventually there's not going to be a group. It's going to dissipate because you're not going to find agreement with any group if somebody is not seeking agreement. What you're telling me is that the path to success is the total atomization of uh, the culture down to the individual. That sounds right. Yeah. Such such that there that that community is impossible. No, (laughs) I think that it can come back together. I think people recognize that, oh, there was a reason why people didn't discuss certain things because it ruins everything. So that people are going to go back to talking about safe topics and re-engaging in real life, and, and, and they're not going to be just bothering with it because it's not a fun experience. I just can't imagine a large number of people having fun online, like engaging others i mean people do stuff online to have fun but not in this way this engagement thing is just turning people off and it's not healthy it's not healthy for their mental health abe's talking about porn again yeah i just don't know i mean i asked the question because i don't have an answer but there has to be a way to disentangle everything from everything and i i think that it is obvious that the correct answer is not to go down the route that like the 
I'll just go back to Shapiro here. The Daily Wire put out a fucking movie uh, two weeks in a row now. They had the Matt Walsh documentary last week, and they have a new, like, chick who got fired from the Star Wars show, The Mandalorian. Her name is Gina Carano. Oh, the former Punch Punch Kick. She was in yeah. uh, UFC. She has some Western out this week, some new movie. So they have, like, this whole m- burgeoning movie studio at, at the Daily Wire where they have, like, movie premieres every week and this sort of fucking thing. Like, that that can't be the answer where we have we have yeah. a... I mean, yeah, on the one hand, sure, if you believe that uh, liberal Hollywood is producing only content that's going to groom your children and, and force the gay agenda on you, then, yeah, you have a, the capital to create your own content, then by all means, I guess. Uh, but that only reinforces the everything is everything mantra. Right. And I I don't know. Who knows? Maybe the brain geniuses like uh, Jack Dorsey, who's decided to skip Web 4 and go straight to Web 5, are onto something where they're truly sort of tech bro, libertarian, idealist conception of the Internet that they're trying to give birth to again after it failed over and over again uh, for the last 20 years. I don't know. Uh, let's run through the WGAS news bag here real quick. Just hit some headlines. The fun, Bitcoin fun, fun. crash is taking El Salvador's big bet with it, as we may have uh, talked about in the past. Actually, I don't know if we did, but El Salvador invested a pile of money in Bitcoin in the last couple of years. And as I said earlier in the show, Bitcoin is down 50% just in the last six months from its highs of like $45,000 per Bitcoin down to a low of hasn't quite dipped below 20,000 yet unless something's happened here in the last couple of hours. And uh, uh, see- the forecast is supposed to continue in this direction like it's not like a blip and it's going to by the by Christmas it's going to be back up, right? It seems like all the signs point to it's going to continue to trend downwards. I mean, there'll be some right. volatility, I mean, but for what it's worth, if you go to the Bitcoin chart from as recently as, I mean, let's just go with the start of the pandemic. In March of 2020, uh, Bitcoin was $5,000 a coin. It hit a low as the pandemic started of like $5,100 a coin before it exploded all the way up to, at times, as high as like 60000 And now is now is down about uh, twenty two. Yeah, who knows where it could go? But even, even if it went all the way down to like $10,000 a coin... That's still double its start of the pandemic low, right? I mean, it's not uh, – now, of course, anybody who's bought it in the last two years is going to fucking take a horrible bath if they right. sell. And that's bad for – mostly it's bad for you know your everyday sort of consumer-level investor. Uh, but it can be, in fact, uh, particularly bad apparently for El Salvador. But again, only if they – sell right like if they right. if they hold then they're going to be okay i mean other- hold hold for what like this is i mean i'm not into the stock market i just did the safe stuff that they tell you know like through work but like i don't understand what are you holding on to because like it's just there's no rhyme or reason it seems like it the, the stock price goes up based on confidence and just a lot of people buying into this uh hype and then it goes down and then what hope do you have of it coming back up? Like if I had, if well, I Bitcoin held in particular, stock, at least a new app about how you catch the individual bitcoins and you go out in public and you throw the balls. I don't know oh. what you're talking about, but the uh, Pokemon will. <laughs> Bitcoin 
at least has a finite number of achievable bitcoins. So in the in the way that it at least is not like some of these other cryptocurrencies, which just you can just produce forever. Like the Dogecoin, for example, is a functionally infinite number of coins available. So why would it be worth anything? And the answer is because it was a fucking stupid pump and dump scheme. And yeah, you can make the argument that they're cryptocurrency and dump <laughs> in general is a pump and dump scheme and certainly if you just look at what's happened in the last six months where you had and you know for the last two years you had all of this money pouring into crypto markets and then at the end of last year and the start of this year all of a sudden you had all of these advertisements trying to push crypto out on this whole new larger group of uh, potential buyers and since that happened you've seen prices fucking absolutely collapse you could argue that the whole thing is just a pump and dump scheme obviously but at least with bitcoin you have sort of huge institutional backers of this thing it has a finite number of coins that can ever be produced and beyond that at least sort of it it has a conceivable purpose on the long run whether you believe it actually uh will maintain its its value over the long run who knows but anyway the short story is just that Huge portions of the crypto market have collapsed. Ethereum, which had been trading at like 4500 a coin, is down to, I think, around $1,000 a coin right now. It, it, it goes sort of across the board. We, we talked about the Luna coin uh, a few weeks ago, which had completely gone belly up. And, and yeah, there are exposures not just with your everyday retail investor, but also like with this El Salvador, which has got a couple hundred million dollars worth of exposure. And... Great big investment outfits like uh, MicroStrategy, which is run by uh, this Michael Saylor guy, which owns 129,000 Bitcoin. When you have 129,000 of something that are worth at one point as much as like $50,000 each, but are now worth just $20,000 each, uh, you've lost a, a big pile of money. All right. And it doesn't feel good. Uh, what else here? We have... Uh, the Republicans are spending millions on election volunteers to search for fraud. Uh, this can be tied in neatly with some of the primary results here in the last few days. Fraud or uh, like, uh, is that the cover for like voter intimidation? Like how are they going to suss out fraud? Like if they're not part of the apparatus of the election system. Right. Well, all you have to do is create enough of a shitstorm. You get a handful of people, so-called poll watchers, who say, ah, some impropriety happened here. And right. if they happen to do that in Pennsylvania and Georgia and Nevada, where you have just elected secretaries of state who are not at all interested in following the so-called will of the people and instead are going to be happy to overturn elections. Like, I mean, it is, a, it is sort of a naked pursuit of ignoring the mandate of the people. Right, creating in some, in a some of pretext to overthrow the outcome or to, to overturn the outcome, right? I mean, basically, oh, my God, there are some improprieties. We can't trust the numbers. Let's just go with the guy that we wanted to win, right? I mean, this whole thing is just that, right? Because not finding any evidence of wrongdoing is not an obstacle. Like, they'll just clear that hurdle with ease and just move on to, no, there's definitely something uh, weird going on here, and so we're not going to count this outcome. Right. Uh, so that's bad. And I mean, we talked about Mastriano in Pennsylvania, but there's also this maniac in 
Nevada, who just won the primary for the Republicans. I'll stick a link in the show notes there. All right, there's a story which I referenced at the top about the United Kingdom was trying to unload a bunch of asylum seekers, and their plan was to ship them all to Rwanda. Right. And that got stopped at the very last moment. Some European human rights organization right. got a stay in some court somewhere to stop the plane from taking off. And I don't know anything about this except to say that that seems fucked up that you take a bunch of asylum seekers and dump them in Rwanda. Right. You know how like on on this side of the world we had we had that stay in Mexico kind of thing or stay where the fuck you are. Like it seems to be like a go to Rwanda policy and right. in at least officially Rwanda was into this and they kind of welcomed this and they're part of the deal making but I, w- I wonder if they were like the, the UK I don't know the relationship between these two countries did they strong arm them like we'll give you some benefit and if you accept some of these refugees I don't know what the back room deal was because it's very random I don't know the connection between the two and right. it's not like we're going to send is it we're only going to send Rwandan gen, uh, uh, refugees to Rwanda or just like anybody who's going through France to get to 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 the UK, we're going to send them to... Yeah, the, the British government insists that it is a way of uh, combating this the human trafficking problem where these asylum seekers are paying people to get them from France to England, and that that's bad, obviously. I don't know. Is there is there a way to imagine a better future where we have, like, a functioning world order where asylum seekers, you don't necessarily get to go to whatever country that you happen to find an open border at, but you can right. be sort of accepted somewhere at some neutral country. Yeah, but uh, like while you're imagining that, just imagine that there aren't refugees. Sure. Like have like a global pool of people that need to leave wherever they are and have like a draft. Well, you know, like my old Olympics, the, the Olympics take about how there should just be like one Olympic spot. Like we could build it and we could let the Chinese and the... That's what Israel and the is for Qataris. Yeah. Uh, work together to build some new thing in the in the ocean, like this new Olympic island or whatever. And it's <laughs> yeah. this neutral place. Like, right. couldn't we just build an island for all the refugees? And they're not an, uh, <laughs> <laughs> a lot of refugees. I don't know if you can fit them all in one island. I mean, Utah. Also, like, Utah's big, go right? There. Like, I don't <laughs> want to be here in this shitty country. I want to go to this nice, happy refugee country. Yeah, the island of Utah should yeah. welcome everyone. <laughs> You'll recall that Squid Game, a successful Netflix show, which was about uh, the absolute fucking late capitalist horror of people doing absolutely anything <laughs> to earn a buck for their families uh, in their miserable fucking lives, to the point of accepting the strong possibility of horrible death in order to come up with some money. Uh, you, you recall that uh, satirical take on modern life. That's right. Abe, they're turning it into a real show. What do you mean a real show? Oh, it's, like a reality show. Yeah. yeah. It's they're remarkable how people? like Netflix They're gonna kill wait, no. No, no wait, killing, they're but gonna it's kill remarkable. people? No, they won't. Nobody kill dying. But it's remarkable then that's that that's not the uh, same. No, of course. I mean not, that's not on the table. They're not gonna kill people, but it's remarkable that they kind of missed the point that Bob is was making. In having the show, that, that's not what the show was about. But they're turning it into this. Wouldn't it be fun, like an obstacle course of like fucking, t- uh, like cut out like some stupid uh, triangle from a cookie. 
what's weird is that they're uh, even though this show is I know a lot of people watch the English dub version because uh, they're too lazy to to read the subtitles, but they're not allowing non English speakers to participate in a show. Or the origin is uh, the inspiration is coming from a Korean speaking show. It's kind of a weird right. thing. Like so, like people in Korea can't participate in this. Well, they can if they speak they English. <laughs> <laughs> if I were Korean, I would speak as shitty as that American guy with a mask. Like just speak in yeah, a shitty <laughs> accent. Throughout I should the whole apply. Thing. I should apply to be on the show. I went to the website to to become a contestant on the show. You have to upload a one minute video. Should I do it in do like it, one of those yeah. masks with that with that voice going? Well, you should. There are. I mean, I've never seen. You I win mean, money. Yes. Four point five six million is the you know the pool of the. Yeah, probably do, do it. The same do setup. it. Do it. Do it. I will not debase myself and go on the Squid Game uh, reality show. Well, you've already lost Squid Game saying that. <laughs> yeah. The stake, uh, you know, Bob needs the, the real stakes, you know? Like, he would, he can't focus if it's not like, I'm going to die. That's true. He'd probably win if it meant he'd die if he didn't. <laughs> There's nothing like the highly motivated, Laura. If, if death was on the table, I would try a little harder, too. You've been listening to Cast Iron Brains, a podcast with Bob and Abe. Find the show on Facebook or Twitter. Head on over to brainiron.com or castironbrains.com. The opening and closing themes of the show are composed by Mark Gillig. All right, before we get into what we watched, or what Abe watched this weekend, I need to play you guys something. My kids have been home because it's summer break now, and so the kids have been allowed to delve into the content maw themselves. And so now... I will present. Here's what I did: is I I turned on our podcast recording devices and I walked out of the room. I allowed them. My only prompt was uh, talk about that show that you've been watching this week. And here's what they did. It's time for Kids Content Mall with Calvin and Katie. I'm gonna be on the internet. <laughs> I will. My voice will be on the internet. Okay, we have been watching. Start over. Start over. Hello, everybody. We have been no start over. You start. You start. <laughs> okay. I'll start it off. Yeah. <sighs> this week, we have been starting to watch the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles on Netflix. Nickelodeon. Yeah, Nickelodeon. Okay. And Donatello knows how to... Do technology, and Michelangelo is the funniest, and he loves pizza. Leonardo is the leader. Is yeah, he's the leader. Um, and he wears blue. He wears Michelangelo he, he, wears orange, and Donatello wears you purple. Please not interrupt. We're gonna start over. Okay, okay fine. <laughs> Don't touch. All right, keep going. Start over. This week we have been watching the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles on Netflix. Nickelodeon. Michelangelo is the funniest. He loves pizza and he wears orange. Donatello <laughs> loves machines and is really good at them. And he wears purple. Leonardo 
um, is the leader, and he <laughs> also likes pizza. They all like pizza. But Michelangelo um, likes it the most. Yeah. He loves it. Yeah. Um, and he's the leader, so he's basically the leader, <laughs> and he wears blue. And he bosses everybody around. Well, no, he doesn't. He... He he tells people what to do. Yeah, because he's leader. <laughs> yeah, that's what leaders do. If you didn't know that. And Raphael wears red. He's got a really, you can say, he's kind of a little mean, but he's got just attitude. He's got a lot he of temper. Wants, he always wants to kick, but. Um, yeah, and he has a lot of temper. Splinter is who trains them all. And, and he's a, a mouse. He's a he's rat. He's a rat, actually. He, he's a rat. And, and April. April. April is the girl is who a, Donatello likes her. Yeah. Donatello likes her. And she has red hair. She has red hair. And <laughs> the bad funny. guy is Shredder. And he's who wants to destroy Splinter and the Ninja Turtles. And one time Michelangelo made friends... With a guy named Brad Brad. <laughs> Brad Brad. And he was actually a bad guy, so he got trapped. But the other guys got him back. Um, the Ninja Turtles were actually ready, regular baby turtles when this acid d- got dumped all over them. And, and it was like gooey acid. Gooey acid. And then Splinter. Splinter. The is, splinter let is me tell. Let me a tell. real human. No, let me tell. Let <laughs> me tell. actually a real human. Let me tell. Oh, fucker. Splinter is actually a human, and he lost his name, and he got sprayed by the ooze. <laughs> and now he's a mouse. No, rat. No. Yeah, rat. And that, and he is their father. And the ooze is the mother. <laughs> That's yeah. what they say. <laughs> yeah. He's doing some yeah. literary criticism already. That's about it. Oh, one more thing. It's a really good show. Yeah. That's about it. <laughs> <laughs> there we have it. Oh, my God. That was great. Uh, new recurring feature, perhaps. <laughs> what what the fuck the kids watched this week? Calvin, Katie sets it up. This is this guy. Yeah. He wears orange. This is this guy. He wears whatever color. Calvin's like, this is this one. You know, other stuff. <laughs> the, the ooze is the mother. That's good. The ooze is the That's mother. Just, you know, she can back it up with text if she needs to. Abe, did you uh, did you go to the movies this week? I uh, I did. I went to the movies last week to watch the uh, the critically panned uh, Jurassic World, whatever. Uh, yeah, Jurassic Park Six, right? <laughs> you and your numbers, <laughs> Jurassic World <laughs> Dominion, I believe is what they're going with. Uh, not a very good movie, uh, as I expected. Uh, it is totally incoherent. The story, like the the motivations of the characters, don't make sense. Some of the scenes don't make sense where one scene, they're in a car and this stupid 
dinosaur thingy uh, <laughs> is running after them and it's catching the, the moving vehicle. And then another scene, they're on foot and... And yes, so they can having, escape it. Yeah. yeah, it's having similar. Like, it's like, wait a minute, is, is it like a rise up and down to the competition or the setting? Yeah, like, Chris it, Pratt and Bryce Dallas Howard can run at fucking sixty-seven yeah. miles per yeah, hour. Did you not know that? <laughs> but if you can overlook all of its shortcomings, it's like, like Godzilla versus Kong level if you of like overlook all of its shortcomings. Yes, it's if nice. You, because you should not apply the first movie standard. You should just be like Godzilla yeah. versus Kong, whatever. Just a dumb like monster movie, and it in within that framework, it's like a passable movie. It's like it doesn't make sense. It's stupid, but it's fine. Uh, the one weird thing about it, I don't know who wrote this. It's probably a, multiple people I'd, who wrote it. I'll bet you there were six people with their names. Yeah, on that yeah. Script. This seems like one of those where it wasn't one person writing it, but it could be a total coincidence. But the evildoer company and the evildoer CEO bear a striking resemblance with Apple and Tim Cook. Like the evildoer company building looked almost exactly like that that circle building that Apple has, Uh that very expensive looking circle building out, out in California. And the CEO, like, oh, let's fuck shit up and make more money guy, like the cartoonishly evil CEO, looks like Tim Cook. Like, how could those two things be true? Like, the building and the guy looks just like the company? It didn't make any sense. Hmm, curious. It must have been on purpose, but again, popcorn movie, turned Does off it the have, brain. Will it have the legs that Top Gun has had? No, and, no, no, and... no. Although, despite its very shitty ratings, which were mostly accurate, right? Um, there was uh, one <laughs> reviewer where it's like, if I had a kid who I hated who was into dinosaurs, I would take him to this movie so it can ruin their dinosaur <laughs> love. Like, that's how bad it is. But uh, the cinema score, you know, they, they do these uh, random exit poll kind of things. And it was yeah. like an A- minus or something. You got like, it's like, ah, yeah, that's so too people, shit. People are having fun out there when they go and see this movie. But I think it's going to be undercut by uh, the Lightyear movie. And, and Top Gun is still doing pretty good numbers. So it's going to lose its a lot of its premium formats this week. So I, I was frustrated do- because I was going to treat myself to go see Top Gun last week because the school year was over. I was done with baseball. Like I, it sounds like ridiculous, but like I was glad that baseball was over and I was going to have a night. It was just I, a lot. It was baseball was a lot, and we didn't have time for anything. Right. Else. So I was going to go see Top Gun, but then I looked at the stupid at the movie theater around the corner here. And Jurassic World had taken over all of the good theaters. Yeah, like, all I, the if I was going to go see yeah. Top Gun, it wasn't going to be in one of the premium theaters. It was going to be in one of the relatively small. It's still a movie theater. It still right. would have been fine. But you but like, I wanted the, the full yeah. Dolby experience. I didn't right. want the the fucking just the big screen aspect of it. And and then I went and I looked at this next week. And stupid light years taking light all of year. the good screens. It's like, we used to have, during the better times of the pandemic, a movie would come out and there wouldn't be another movie for three for all, months. Right. And you could just, you could count on being able to see the best movie in the best theater, but now right. not so much. And they should, they, they can afford to split, like, you don't need every showing in the Dolby Theater to be one movie. I know they have these contracts where, especially the opening weekend and the weekend after they block out the the best seat, you know theaters uh, and the best right. screens you would think with the success of top gun some of these uh theaters would decide like we're going to 
peel off one showing a day or you know a specific time during the Fourth of July weekend to show Top Gun in the best. Because uh, I think they would probably yeah, get a big go. turnout for that. And I don't think there's any big thing coming out on the Fourth of July weekend. It's probably the weekend after. So. I have no interest in seeing Lightyear. I've been seeing the previews for it for the last like year and a half. It seems like I just I I do not care about seeing a prequel to the toy. Like I loved. I've seen every. I think I've seen every Toy Story movie in the movie theaters. Probably. Yeah, I'm I think I'm so. fairly confident that I have not missed a single Toy Story release in the movie theaters. But I have no interest whatsoever in seeing Lightyear. Kind of don't yeah. want to go until we don't have to quarantine anymore. No. Like it's I, so. I would feel so stupid if it was that movie theater and that guy two rows away chewing away on popcorn, you know? Yeah. That's true. I, I, I still haven't seen any of the Toy Stories, so I'm going to see them all in sequence. The, this origin You're going to watch all the Toy Stories this that week? That sounds so fun. Ahead of seeing Lightyear? No, I I'm going to see Lightyear because that. that came first, right? He's the inspiration oh, gotcha. for one of the toys, right? So. You want to yeah. see the origin story first. That's yeah. right. It's so good. Smart. Anything else besides that? I saw uh, that fundamentalist Mormon thing on Netflix. Ooh, uh, yeah, very depressing. Yeah, we started now. watching that too. We didn't finish. Wait, wait, wait. Keep you started sweet watch- which one? and something, something. The Warren Jeffs thing. Yeah, the Warren Jeffs thing. That guy, a total piece of shit. Okay, I, mean, I, I, thought, I thought you might have been talking about the Andrew Garfield uh, Under the Banner of Heaven. No, Hulu no, show. that's like on what Hulu or some other streaming. That's thing. on Hulu. Yeah. yeah. No, this one is. Not like a dramatization, just like a documentary. Yeah, we saw but the first two episodes. Terrible. Ter- I don't know. It, it's weird how conflicted some of the people who, even though they know all the horrible things that have happened, this guy's like raping kids, uh, and they still want to believe. It's weird. The faith is a very weird thing. People are still Bob clinging to. Bob made me to. laugh really hard watching that. What did I say? Because one of them was talking about like their beliefs, and it was like, well, if you do everything right and you have all these wives and children then you get your own planet and the heavens and if you don't you just like disintegrate into matter and you went yeah <laughs> <laughs> they're so sincere in in when they it's like really you think that is gonna happen what's like, funny to me especially about I mean, this Lori actually we sort of briefly talked about this while we were watching the show because Lori was like do we think that any of them are enjoying any of the sex that they're having? And like for the dudes, maybe, maybe, but not in the way that like, say like a normal person enjoys sex. Right. Right. Because (laughs) not that my normal is any better than their normal, I guess (laughs) if we're going to be, if we don't want to be judgy here, but like the way that these women are describing their first times and it's like, uh, it's just purely in terms of a violation and a right. rape. I mean, uh, like on the on the most charitable side, you can think of it like in the way that duty. like yeah, in a sort of duty bound way where for thousands of years women were not told what to expect on their wedding night any more right. than these women were. So like maybe they don't have it any worse than like ninety percent of women have had it for all of fucking right. time immemorial. But certainly, like in a modern sensibility, like the way that these women were introduced to the physical act of love, uh, not pleasant. Context-free. I can't imagine, like, because they, they they don't do any kind of sex education or anything. It's just like, no, nope. we're gonna just keep you totally ignorant of this, and then some fucking 
old goober is just going to plop over you and do God knows what. I, God does know what. God knows oh, precisely right. what. And it's not at all adventurous or interesting no. or, or or particularly pleasurable for the man even. I can't – I mean that's the thing. Like beyond people who have a very specific and weird kink. Don't like say weird. No, sorry, but the Bill Cosby's of the world, that's a weird kink. Okay. Where, where the you're raping thing, of pe- the drugging and raping, the, yeah. Right, the, the drugging – and raping of people while they're unconscious is akin to what these men are doing to these women who don't know what the fuck is happening right. to them, right? right? Like, and I can't imagine, like, that's not how I, I mean, not to get too personal here, but that is not the sort of sex that I enjoy or right. want to have or think of as enjoyable in any sort of way. So, like, right. either they're all, they all share the same weird fucking kinks. And like the- ones that aren't the old men seem so nice right or none of them are like having any sex whatsoever that is at all pleasurable for any of the parties involved there's a lot of these fucking kids that they're producing so somebody's having sex i go to work every fucking day you (laughs) think i want to Anyway, we watched that. I don't think we watched much else. We w- I've been watching The Braves. We watched The Gods Must Be Crazy 1. Yeah, which watched. Not as good as 2. So Gods Must Be Crazy with the kids. It's, it's problematic at times, obviously. It's fine. Are you familiar with The Gods Must Be Crazy films, Abe? I think I watched one of them because my boss at Domino's back in high school was like, oh, you got to watch this. You would like it. It's kind of funny. I, I don't remember much of it. Something about a Coke bottle or something. Yeah, the second but- one's way better. Okay. I don't remember the second one, so I can't. Well, it's way better. I cannot conform. Did they stop at two? Denying. Yeah. So I went to the Wikipedia page for that uh, series, and apparently they just made a bunch of unauthorized sequels that, like, random production companies insisted were sequels oh, to The Gods Must Be Crazy. Okay. But they had nothing to do with the original production. <laughs> <laughs> sort of a, a ad hoc sequel making adventure. If uh, that happened. Wasn't American Pie one of those things where, like, they made a bunch of them after the main cast? Yeah, but those were at least the same production company. Yeah. That wasn't yeah. just, like, wasn't random stealing. people just just <laughs> claiming American Pie 7. Uh, but, yeah, besides that, it's mostly just been... We were tired, and we watched some baseball, I think. Baseball, and then basketball, and then tonight, we've missed the fucking hockey game. I don't know what's going on in the hockey game, but the uh, Stanley Cup final starts tonight. Abe, I, I will once again complain at you about the lack of entertaining basketball in yes. the basketball <laughs> playoffs. Because I want the there to be good basketball, and there's not good basketball. It hasn't been good. You're right. It's, I, I have no control over it. I think uh, the Stanley Cup is going into overtime 3-3. Ooh. But, uh, <laughs> this is the final final? Yeah, it's the game one of the finals. Oh, game one. Tonight. Yeah. yeah, but overtime Stanley Cup hockey. Yeah, but we should probably get the fuck out of here and turn that on the television. <laughs> hey, have you got anything else for us tonight? Nope. Well, I guess that's all we've got for tonight, then. We will talk to you next time. Later. Like, it sounds terrible when you're like, we're going to just put all these asylum seekers on a plane to this third world country. Uh, right. Not to disparage. I assume it's third world country. I don't know. I looked it up on the... They, they stopped using the first, second, and third when the Soviet Union fell, but yes. Developing country is what they call it now. Yeah, sorry. And uh, also, they've uh, turned things around since that 94 let's kill everybody incident. Yeah, but I was looking at the... Uh, like, one of those goofy, like, uh, standard of life 
index things, and it's on a on a scale of zero to one, and like the U.S. is like a point nine two, and Norway is like a point nine five or whatever. Rwanda's a point four five or something like that. So oh wow! Yeah. Is that like in the fiftieth percentile? Maybe there's a. It can get worse. I'm sure Somalia is not in point four five territory. <laughs> Let me check that. <laughs> I'd say point two five. Let's see if I my stupid knowledge of geography is going to allow me to even find Somalia here on this map. Um, like the, the, the horn thing. Yeah, it's like East Africa. There it is. Somalia is. Where's the fucking button? Is it not ranked or something? Why isn't it showing me what its ranking is? Ethiopia. The team those. Ethiopia is a point four six three. Somalia. Okay. It just has population listed. <laughs> so that's, that's, that can be promising. According no, it's a zero according to the color code here. It's they're all zero, zero but zero point what, Bob? Come on, <laughs> this can't be zero point zero. That's funny. Somalia sets Somalia sets the goddamn scale. That's what a bummer. <laughs> No. Oh, sorry. They're not shipping people back Tuvalu. to Somalia. What the fuck is Tuvalu? Uh, your guess is as good as mine. Tuvalu is with it's an Somali- island country in the Polynesian subregion of Oceania. Also a zero on the on this ranking. Boy, along with Somalia, and then Niger is point three five four. So it's tu- Tuvalu is the fourth most impoverished nation in the world. Says Wow Brogan Project Borgen Borgen Project. Yeah, I've never heard of that country. They, I guess they never make the Olympic teams. Uh, Norway, 0.953. Strong. Did it have a 1.0 anywhere? Not seeing any ones. Hello. Bye. 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 Can't stop. Let's go tell that. Okay. I think I hit... No, don't hit anything. Okay, this button. Don't. Okay.